gospel. Acts 27, 21 through 26 will be our, our, our starting point tonight. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, we are working our way through the book of Acts. We uh, have one more week left in this book after this week. Let's look at verse 21 through 26. The Bible says, But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me, and have not loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, that thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island. The title of the message this evening is this, All Things Work Together for Good. All things work together for good. We're going to see Paul in a very, very, very tough spot. Uh, one that would have made most of us vomit and throw up, seasick, and tossed, uh, tossed in, in their voyage at sea, and um, uh, just uh, their, their ship being flung around in the Mediterranean Sea for two solid weeks. But yet, God worked all things together for good. Let's pray tonight. Lord, help us to... Uh, take refuge in the message tonight. Lord, many folks are going through their own storms and battles and feel as though maybe certain circumstances or areas of their life are out of control. And uh, Lord, no, no matter what they try to do, they can't seem to get it under control and get things fixed. And Lord, as we join Paul here on this ship and trying to make a voyage to Rome where you told him to go, and uh, Lord, uh, may we find rest May we find solace. May we learn to trust you uh, in our times of struggle, Lord. Uh, guide my words. Help me to, to speak that which would encourage your people, exhort your people. Uh, but, Lord, may it not be about me. May it be all about you in this book. May it be all about the cross of Calvary and salvation. And, Lord, may you be high and lifted up and receive all the glory for everything that is said and done here in this message. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, if you know it, quote it with me. Ready? Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Have you ever felt like your life was uh, spiraling out of control? you ever felt that way? Um, God had told Paul some two years prior that he would go to Rome. And that he would testify of his faith before Caesar. But powerful men were doing all they could to keep Paul from getting there. See the Jewish council. Here in Acts 27 we find Paul in a boat at sea being tossed to and fro in the stormy waters. Sometimes it can feel like that is you. Uh, people all around you are making decisions that toss you here and toss you there. You can be left to wonder whether your life is going, or where, rather where your life is going, and whether God truly is in charge. We know in our head He is. Sometimes in our heart it can be a struggle. We especially feel this way when we go through times of transition. Maybe it is uncertainty at work while a, during a possible job or career change. Maybe it's changes at home. 
a divorce, rebellious children, aging parents, sickness, and on and on we could go. Sometimes there are things uh, out of control. Uh, rather, sometimes things are out of control and we are left feeling as though we are being tossed about in the ocean of life, spinning out of control. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 reminds us that God is in the background being God. God is in the background being God. And while things are wildly raging in our life and we don't know where things are going or why things are happening, God is in the background being God. Shakespeare said, all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. All the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. I must say, I agree with that quote, but I believe that the quote is incomplete. Here's, how I, here's what I would add to Mr. Shakespeare's quote. I would say, and God is the director. God is the director. Yes, men and women have free will, and we could go back and forth all night trying to figure out where man's free will and God's sovereignty come together and how all of that works. Uh, listen, if anyone tells you they've got God's free will and uh, man's, uh, rather, man's free will and God's sovereignty all figured out, just turn around and walk away because they are lying to you. Nobody has that figured out. Nobody has that figured out. But somewhere in there, those two come together. God gives us a free will to decide what we want to do. But at the end of the day, God is sovereign. And he works all things according to his own plan. All things work together for good. All things work together for good. Oh, we know the good things work together for good. Uh, that one's easy. The good things work together for good, right? You go to work and your boss calls you in the office and gives you a pay raise. And lightens your schedule, right? As if those two things ever happen at the same time. Uh, but it gives you a pay raise and lightens your schedule and says, here, here's the keys to my yacht. Go, uh, go, uh, go, go take a break for a month out in the Caribbean, right? Uh, th- those type of things. Listen, that would be a good day and good things happen. Uh, uh, good things work together for good. But you know what? Bad things work together for good. God is the master at taking bad things in our life and working them out for our own Good, because he is God and he is capable of taking anything anyone can do to us that's contrary to the will of God and still spinning it in a way that is good for us that fits the good will of God. All things work together for good, Romans 8 tells us, to them that love God. And so the other uh, prerequisite here is to them who are the called according to his purpose. This promise of all things working together for good, this promise is a conditional promise. A conditional promise. All things don't necessarily work together for good for everyone. But all things do work together for good when you keep your part of the condition. When you do your part, God does His part. I'd encourage you to write that down. When I do my part, God does His part. When I do my part, God does His part. Am I busy loving God? I I had someone say to me one time, they asked me a question rather, they said, are you holy? Are you holy? That is an uncomfortable question. Now, it's not uncomfortable when I'm asking you in a group where you don't have to answer. 
But imagine if me and you were in the car going on a ride, and I looked at you and said, Are you holy? And maybe make you squirm in your seat a little bit, right? Especially when you think that God is holy, and we fall way short of God. All right, another question. Uh, are, uh, do you love God? Do you love God? Uh, just like the question to are you holy is a challenging question, I think do you love God is also challenging. Because all of us could love Him more. All of us could love Him more. All of us should love Him more. All of us ought to be making a greater effort than we are. Many times we get comfortable where we're at in our love for God and we don't move forward. We just rest right where we're at with it. Do you love God? If God's going to work all things together for good, uh, and, and the condition, uh, the part you must accomplish is that you must love God, you, you need to stop and say, do I truly love God? The other part of that is uh, all things work together for good to them who are the called according to His Purpose. Are you busy fulfilling the purpose, being part of the workmanship, uh, and fulfilling the workmanship that he gave you? In Acts chapter 27, Paul is going to have his life put into harm's way because of some very poor decisions that other people make that are out of his control. And God is going to step in and flex his sovereignty in the face of danger. And through this evening sermon, uh, you're going to be challenged with the following. You're going to be challenged to trust God even when others do you wrong. It's hard to trust God when other people do you wrong. It is hard. Is you think, God, why didn't you step in and stop this? You're going to be challenged this evening to follow God's plan and not your own during times of transition. We all want to hop in and, and come up with a plan and run with our plan uh, to try to solve uh, transition, especially when the transition is not good transition. This evening, during the message, you're going to be challenged to do what you can and then depend on uh, God to do the miraculous when you can't. You're going to, you're going to be challenged to do what you can and, and then depend on God to do the miraculous that you can't. And then uh, tonight in the message, you're going to be challenged to use your faith to calm others while the storm rages on around you and them. So let's jump in tonight and look at four observations out of Acts 27 as we uh, journey with Paul as he begins his voyage to Rome. Let's look at this truth. All things work together for good. Let's take notes tonight. Number one, notice the detailed passage about the voyage. The detailed passage about the voyage. All right, Brother Joe, if you'd go ahead and uh, put that uh, next slide up there. I hope it's, it's readable. More or less, it's readable, all right? And so Paul starts out in Caesarea, and as we read from verse 1 down through verse 8, the Bible lays out in great detail how Paul traveled. In great detail, we find it in the passage. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says, And when it was determined that we should uh, sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners under one named Julius. So the centurion's name is Julius. He was a centurion of Augustus' band. That would be Caesar Augustus or Nero. And entering into a ship of Adra Midium, we launched, meaning to sail all by the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus, and we know about Aristarchus. He was part of the church of Thessalonica, a Macedonia, Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. And the next day we touched at 
Sidon. You look there on the map, you can see they leave Caesarea, they travel up the coast to Sidon. Some of you were here on Wednesday evening when we gave the history lesson on the city of Tyre. Tyre and Sidon were part of Phoenicia, the the Phoenician Empire, and uh, Sidon was the mother city to Tyre. There were Christians in Sidon. Pick up there with me again. And Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself. Maybe Paul was given some medical attention here. Uh, Paul may have been given supplies for the journey from other Christians that would have resided there in Sidon. Sidon, the church in Sidon, most likely would have been started at the persecution of Stephen and the spreading of Christians from Jerusalem up to Phoenicia and Sidon. Look at verse 4. And when we had launched from thence, we sailed unto Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. So there you see on the map that uh, they probably would have cut under Cyprus, but the winds did not allow them to sail south of Cyprus. They had to go up and over the top of Cyprus. I wonder as they went around Cyprus, if Paul did not think back as he looked over the edge of the boat, he didn't think back to that first missionary journey with Barnabas and John Mark. And he thought about the Roman king that he led to the Lord. He thought about the man that he had struck blind temporarily because the man uh, was opposing him, wondering if that man had ever gotten saved and gotten his sight back. But they sail around there. They get to the city of Myra. Look at verse number six. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy. We know Alexandria to be that of Egypt. We know there was a lot of agriculture that came out of Egypt. We'll read later that it was most likely a large ship with wheat on it. Now, if you look at this map, let me just pause here. If you look at this map, uh, the, the journey from Caesarea to Rome would have not taken the route that they took normally. Why did they go uh, the route that they went? Well, the reason was because this centurion had so many prisoners that he had to look after, he had to find a boat that would get him heading in the general direction. There was no uh, non-stop flight, non-stop boat heading to Rome. And so they took a boat that got them to Myra. And they got, well, got to Myra, they switched over to another boat owned uh, by a man from Alexandria. And his intent was to take that wheat harvest to Rome for profit. Verse number 7, And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against uh, Snidus, the wind not suffering us, we sailed unto Crete, over against Salmon. Uh, 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 Salmon. So look there. You see they're trying to get uh, from Myris uh, over to where they need to go. And uh, they get uh, uh, Snidus. There's not a lot of wind. That's not a very far journey. And so then they head south and they're heading uh, toward Cape Salome there. You see it on the top of Crete. All right. And so we get the detailed, uh, pa- the, the passage details for us their journey. Uh, look with me at verse number um, verse number 8, And hardly passing it, came unto a place which is called the Fair Havens, uh, nigh whereunto was the city of Lassia. So the wind is not cooperating. This is a boat that's driven by the wind. The wind's really not cooperating with them. They take a long time to get to the Fair Havens there, right on the south, southern port of Crete, and there they land. So number one, we see the detailed passage about the voyage. We'll come back and reference this map again in just a moment. Notice number two, the dangerous path of the voyage. The dangerous path of the voyage. Letter A, notice Paul's discernment. Paul's discernment. Paul 
had done lots and lots and lots of sailing. In fact, the book of 2 Corinthians had already been written by this point. And in 2 Corinthians, he mentions how he's been shipwrecked multiple times. He has spent a night and a day in the deep. Paul knows a lot about sailing. He knows a lot about the waters. He's traveled all over uh, the known world and uh, by, by way of boat. And so Paul's got a good idea. On top of that, Paul walks with God and, and, and also has God helping to lead him and guide him. Paul feels as though they should not be traveling any further. Look down at verse number 9. Now, when uh, much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already past, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be hurt and much damaged, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Look back at verse 9. He talks about because the fast was now already Past. What's he talking about there? Well, Leviticus 23:27 says, Also on the tenth day of the seventh month, that would be our October 1st, uh, there shall be a day of atonement. This is known as Yom Kippur in um, modern Jewish terms. It shall be in holy convocation unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls. There's the, the fasting, the, the going without flu, uh, food, and offer an offering made by fire, Unto the Lord. You would take your meal, you'd set it up on an altar, you would burn it instead of eating it, you would afflict your soul, you would go hungry. And so in uh, Acts 27, verse 9, when it's referencing the fast, it's giving us a date. We know that now to be October 1st on our calendar. Now, why is this important? Because uh, it, is, it was known in the Mediterranean that you did not do any serious traveling between mid October and mid-November. Mid-October to mid-November, the storms on that sea, the Mediterranean Sea, were, were tumultuous. They were dangerous. Typhoons could rip through. We'll see one of those in just a moment. And they were not really to travel. It was known that they were not to travel. They were not to go anywhere. Paul's discernment was, hey guys, we've made it to the Fair Havens. Let's stay here until we get through this season, and then we can continue to travel. So uh, the desire of the captain was not necessarily to travel far. Watch this. The captain only wanted to go just a handful of miles. He wanted to go up the coast of Crete to a city that was better prepared to, uh, to, to take in his boat for the winter and give them a better place to stay. The Fair Havens weren't really ready for that, and so there's a conflict in opinion between Paul and the owner of the boat. Let her be noticed the centurion's decision, the centurion's decision. Look at verse number 11 with me. The Bible says, Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken of Paul. And because the haven, speaking that port there at Fair Haven, the haven was not commodious to winter in, uh, the more part advised to depart thence also. If by any means they might attain to Phoenix or modern-day Phoenix, and there to winter, which is in, which is in haven of Crete, and lieth down the southwest and northwest. So show, show us again the map there, if you would, Brother Joe. Uh, we'll see here. You see that they're there in the Fair Havens. They're on Crete. And where they were trying to go is along the coastline up to the city of Phoenix. And while, yes, it was dangerous to travel, uh, the, the, the owner of the boat said, listen, we don't have to go far. We can stay close to, to, to shore and we'll work our way around and we'll get to Phoenix. And Phoenix is going to be a better place for all of us to stay for the ne next couple months uh, on top of my boat having a much better plan. You can see there, and we'll get into the, uh, this in just a moment, 
That's not really how it worked. They started up the way, and then they got blown out the sea uh, where they would uh, be in trouble. But we'll look at that more in just a moment. Look at verse number 13. You can go back to, uh, you can get rid of the map now. Look at verse number 13. It says, and when the south wind blew softly. I would encourage you to underline this verse in your Bible. It may not mean much to you right now, but it's, it's going to mean a whole lot to you, I believe, uh, when we get done uh, uh, articulating the truths here. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close to Crete. Notice there, it says, when the south wind blew softly. The south wind always blows softly. The south wind always blows at our back and gives us the idea that our ideas of what we want to do and where we want to go, even if they're contrary to, to, to the Bible or God's man, the south wind blows softly and gives us this perception that everything's going to be okay. Look there at verse 13. Supposing, supposing that they had obtained their purpose. Well, the south wind's at our back. And we can surely make it up around the coast of Phoenix. Phoenix will be okay. Uh, we'll be okay. It will be all right. How many people feel the south wind blowing softly and launch out into a very, very poor, life-changing decision that they end up regretting? And they seem to think, well, I've got the wind at my back. This is a good decision. And they have not taken the time to make sure it was of the Lord. Let me give you three factors that should all come into line when you make a life-changing decision. Three factors. And what kind of life-changing decisions am I talking about? Switching careers, uh, uh, taking a job transfer to another city or state, uh, uh, taking a pay raise that's going to radically change your schedule, selling and buying a new home that's going to put you in deeper debt and going to stretch your budget, uh, maybe you're single and you're looking at getting married, uh, all sorts of decisions that you need uh, to make. Don't let the south wind deceive you, making you think the south wind blows softly. Surely this is the right move. Three factors that should come into line before you make a life-altering decision. Number one, the inner voice of conviction. The inner voice of conviction. If you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit of God living within you. His duty is to lead and guide you into all truth. Into all truth. A lot of times when people are making a life-altering decision, you know what they do? They shop around for counsel. They shop around for counsel. They'll go see the pastor. And if the pastor tells them what they want to hear, they put their fingers in their ear and ignore what anyone else has to say. But if the pastor does not tell them what they want to hear, they ignore the pastor and they continue to look around and find someone who will put a check mark by what they want to do and they move forward regardless of what the Holy Spirit says. Listen, you should not... It's okay to go see a pastor. It's okay to go see spiritual advisors. In fact, Solomon tells us in the book of Proverbs that in the multitude of counselors there is safety. But please listen to me on this. The very, very first person's opinion you ought to seek out when you're making a life-altering decision is the Holy Spirit of God who dwells within you. That's the very, very, very first person 
you ought to seek uh, out. And if you're going to make a life-altering decision, boy, you get on your knees in prayer and you talk to the Lord about that and you make sure it's measured and careful and the Holy Spirit of God is confirming within your heart that it is the right move. Number one, the inner voice of conviction. Number two, the voice of circumstances. The voice of circumstances. God oftentimes leads us through open and closed doors. Through open and closed doors. I remember uh, many times in my married life, uh, a, a church ministry life, where a door was closing on me. Uh, a work door was closing on me. And I needed a new job. And how many of you have ever needed a new job and you felt desperate in the process? Anybody here? You know what I'm talking about? And you know what? You almost want to take the first thing that comes your way. Even if you know it's not the best job to take, you want to maybe just want to take the first thing that comes along. And so uh, watch. God does lead through open and closed doors. I've had the door slammed on me. I've been pushed out the door and I have the door closed. And now I'm standing out in the cold wondering, where do I go next? I'm looking for an open door to walk through. And so sometimes the voice of circumstances is one of those factors that lines up and God can lead through open doors. But watch this now. Sometimes Satan leads through open doors. Sometimes that door swinging open for you is not the Lord at all. Your boss comes to you and offers you a pay raise and a job promotion, but it's going to take you out of church a couple of times a month. That door may stand wide open, but God's not the one that opened that door for you. Uh, there may be a, a, an opportunity for you to move to another part of the country, and you think, man, I don't like Connecticut. It's cold, and boy, is it cold. Amen? We've been reminded of that this week, how cold and bitter cold it can be. Uh, you think, I, you know, I don't like Connecticut. It's cold and, and, and the taxes and, 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 you know, maybe I don't agree with all the politics. And I want to go to a state of freedom and warmth and, 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 and liberty uh, where I don't have taxes bearing down on me. Yes, there may be an open door that is leading you in that direction. But is it the Lord or is it Satan? Is it the Lord? Do you remember the story of Boaz and Ruth? You remember how Boaz left and went to Moab because a door was open for him to leave the, the, the starving Israel where there was a famine in the land? And what happens? Uh, 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 rather, uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting the names wrong here. It's not Boaz and Ruth. It's Naomi and Elimelech. There it is. And Naomi, uh, Naomi, he, he, uh, he, Naomi and Elimelech, they go down into Moab. And guess what? They walk through an open door. But what happens? Malon and Chilion die, and Elimelech dies, and Naomi comes back and says, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for I am bitter. The Lord hath dealt bitterly with me. Just because we walk through an open door doesn't always mean it's of the Lord. How do you know if an open door is of the Lord or not? Well, I think it comes down to the word timing. It comes down to the word timing. You see, God, Satan always pushes. God never does. Um, Satan always urges us to act on impulse. God does not urge us ever to act on impulse. Uh, Satan always says, it's now or never. It's now or never. Uh, God never says that. God never says that. Uh, God patiently waits for us to walk through those open doors. Many people have rushed through what looked like an open door only to wish soon afterwards that 
uh, they had been a little bit more cautious. So we're talking about three factors that need to line up so that you don't let the south wind blowing behind you deceive you and you suppose that you're heading in the right direction only to find yourself in a tumultuous storm. The inner voice of conviction, the voice of circumstances, notice number three, the Word of God. The Word of God. Um, God's Word is filled with principles that lead us in the paths of righteousness. God will never lead you down a path that is contrary to the truths found in the Bible. He will never lead you down a path that is contrary uh, to truths found in the Bible. And so, if you say to yourself, well, uh, uh, you know, I, I, God told me to divorce my, my wife. God's not going to lead you down a path that is contrary uh, to the truths of the Bible. Uh, God told me that I have special permission to talk this way. No, God does not lead you down a path that is contrary uh, uh, to the Bible. God told me that I don't have to go to church. I can stay home on Sundays in my pajamas and worship the Lord there. No, no, God never leads you down a path that is contrary to the Bible. And so when you are making a life-altering choice. You're, you're, you're going to decide whether or not to go or stay with whatever the choice is. Don't let the south wind at your back deceive you. Listen, you make sure that these three factors, inner voice of conviction, uh, uh, the, the voice of circumstances, and the Word of God are all lined up together and you walk very carefully in the direction that the Lord uh, would have. We see the south. Look back at verse number 13 with me again. It says, uh, and when the south wind blew softly... Paul is advising against it. Uh, the, 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 the owner of the ship is advising for it. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing then, they sailed close by Crete. We see, letter C, the ship displaced. The ship displaced. But uh, not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Euroclidon, just like we name our hurricanes today. Apparently, they named their typhoons Back then as well, Euroclidon was a typhoon that came along and caught up their ship. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. They could not fight against the wind. They could not get the boat to go to uh, port in Phoenix. Uh, Phoenix, they decided to just uh, go ahead and let the storm take the boat and drive it where it would. Let's go ahead and get the map Back up there, uh, we see here they are trying to make it up the shoreline of Phoenix, and the uh, the storm comes along, and they went nowhere near Phoenix. And you know what? This is how a lot of people are. They say, "Well, I'm just going to go a little bit further here, and I'm going to make this little change in my life. I won't get away from God. I'm going to stay on track." And then all of a sudden, because we trusted the south wind, the next thing we know, our life is totally out of control, and we're lost at sea. We're lost at sea. I can't, in 30, uh, let's see, 38 years, I forgot how old I was for a moment. 38 years of life. I'm too young to be forgetting how old I am. Amen. Uh, 38 years of life, I have seen a lot of people, a lot of people make poor choices. And they were advised not to go a certain way. They, made, they went that way anyway, and now they are lost, their life is lost at sea. And their life is totally a wreck. Because they did not listen to the Word of God. They did not listen to the convicting of the Holy Spirit. They jumped at an opportunity they had no business jumping at. Um, look back at verse number 16. The Bible says, And running 
under a certain island, which is called Clauda. We had much work to come by the boat. Look back up there. Uh, you see uh, Clauda there. So they're pushed under Clauda, and they know, boy, we've got to get the boat ready. We've been trying to fight against the storm. Now we need to work in favor of the storm. And so they go under Clauda. Uh, they had much work to come by the boat. Everyone, it's all hands on deck, literally all hands on deck. We've got to get the boat ready. Look at 17, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship. There were ropes back then. In fact, this, uh, this is still done in some cases, but ropes that ran under the boat. and They would squeeze the boat with these ropes. They would tie them in tight to hold the boards together, knowing that the boat was going to be beaten on. And so the undergirding of the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand. This is right off the edge of the island. There are quicksands, strike, uh, uh, strike sail, and so were driven. By the way, they also knew that if you look down at the bottom of the map where it says Mediterranean Sea, uh, you see a little bit. I had to crop the picture to make it work, but that's the top of North Africa. They knew right off the top of North Africa, obviously the boat was from Alexandria, which is in Africa, they knew uh, that there was, there, there was shallow waters, there was quicksand that could hurt the boat. So they're binding up the boat, they're preparing it, 18, and we began exceeding, and we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest the next day, they lightened the ship. So now they're beginning to throw cargo overboard to lighten the ship. They're doing everything they can. They're doing everything as good sailors in order to survive. Verse 19, in the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. There most likely was a large pole that would have laid across an old ship of that day and that pole would have been very heavy and would have required all hands on deck to help get that pole up and over the edge of the boat. You can see them there. The storm is pouring down on them and they're pushing this pole over the boat to lighten the boat, throwing the tackling overboard in order to lighten the ship. Verse 20, and when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us. All hope that we should be saved or found or rescued was then taken away. You can see now they're just being blown around uh, in the in the um, Mediterranean Sea there, blown around in circles. They have no idea where they are. And during the daytime, there was no sight of the sun. And during the evening, there was no sight of the stars. And can you imagine how seasick they were? How many of you have ever been on a cruise ship uh, at storm, during a big storm. Anybody here? I've never been on a cruise. Maybe one day I'll go. But uh, you, you, I've heard that, boy, if you're not used to that, which these sailors, or rather the sailors would have been, the, the prisoners probably wouldn't have been. Can you imagine how seasick they were? Can you imagine how you lose your appetite? Can you imagine how you wouldn't want to eat anything? They're being tossed at sea, uh, and uh, all hope is lost. The morality of the crew is gone. Number one, we see the detailed passage about the voyage. Number two, the dangerous path of the voyage. Number, notice number three, the dominant personality on the voyage. The dominant personality on the voyage. Who is that dominant personality? Well, it's Paul the Apostle. Paul had no problem being large and in charge. Paul was very good at telling people what to do. He liked to tell people what to do. He was alpha male to the max. If you don't believe me, go to the book of Galatians and see where Paul gets in Peter's face and just straight up tells him that he's wrong and needs to get himself in order. Paul had no problem standing up and taking charge. And we'll see uh, over the next several verses that uh, someone needs to be the leader and Paul is going to step up 
and be the leader. As an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ and as a man who loved God and one of only three men on the boat who did love God, praise the Lord that he did that. Now, another thing I want to show you out of the passage this evening, I want to pull out of the passage, will be a letter A and a B. And I think this A and a B applies to each of us. Notice letter A, the miraculous promised. The miraculous promise. Look down at verse number 21. But after long abstinence, what abstinence is that? That's not eating any food, right? They're, they're lost at sea, and, and they've got no appetite, and, and everyone is not really eating. And Paul is not eating either, but for a different reason, he's on his knees praying. A- after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them. So he calls a meeting, gets everyone together, and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me, and not have loose from Crete, and have gained this harm and loss. What a great time for I told you so moment, huh? Uh, I don't think Paul was, was trying to take a dig. I don't think this was an arrogant shot at everybody. I think what Paul was trying to do here is say, you should have listened to me before, and I hope that you'll listen to me now. I hope that you'll listen to me now. Um, look at verse 22. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship the ship will be lost but no man's life will be lost for there stood by me this night the angel of god whose i am uh, not the angel paul says not saying he belongs to the angel paul saying here he belongs to god and whom i serve he said i serve god i belong to god saying fear not paul thou must be brought before caesar and lo god hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Here we see really the thrust of why Paul was able to stand and speak with such boldness. 25. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God. Underline those three words in your Bible. I believe God. I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me, howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. We'll see in a few minutes that Paul's words were prophetic. And this is exactly how it will go down. The ship would be lost, everyone would be saved, and they would land on an island. Now, I, I, this is uh, somewhat speculation on my part. I don't know that this is exactly how it went down. But can you see Gabriel? He gets back to heaven. And another one of his angel buddies says, Gabriel, where, where, where have you been? And Gabriel says, well, I was just down on earth. And I was in the Mediterranean Sea. Well, what in the world would you be doing in the Mediterranean Sea right now? I mean, we all know the storms that are down there. What are you doing down there? He said, well, Paul's in a boat, all the Mediterranean Sea, caught in a storm. What is Paul doing in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea? Well, Paul tried to tell them not to go, but they listened to the experts. They followed the science. Sound like anything we hear lately, right? Uh, and, uh, and they ended up at sea, and they're stuck out at sea. And, uh, and he said, I had a conversation with Paul. And I don't know that it was Gabriel, but just indulge me for a moment. And, and I can see uh, uh, Gabriel telling his angel buddies, you know, Paul and I had a long conversation. And I assured Paul that he was not going to die. And Paul had a request for me. Paul requested that every man's life on that boat be saved. And I assured him that it would. You see, the miraculous was promised. Uh, If you were to put a percentage of survival rate on this boat lost at sea, you'd put it at sub-1%. 
This is not something that should have happened. Uh, They no doubt were taking on water. They had boards that had been broken. Uh, They were lost at sea in a storm that did not seem to have any end in sight. The miraculous was promised. I can see the, the men on the boat skeptically raising an eyebrow and thinking to themselves, well, Paul, I hope you're right, but I don't think you're right. I hope you're right, but I don't think you're right. Letter A, we see the miraculous promise. Letter B, we see the mundane practice, the mundane practice. And after we see how the mundane was practiced, we're going to make an application to our lives here. Look at verse 27. But when the 14th night was come, what a long, boy, that must have seemed like an eternity. When the 14th night was come, as we were driven up and down in Adria, about midnight, the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country and sounded and found it 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it 15 fathoms. Now, to those of you that have no idea what that means, in essence, they're sending down some form of sound wave to see how deep the water is beneath them. And uh, they realize that they're getting near some sort of shoreline. And so they send down uh, these sound waves and it bounces back up 20 fathoms and then 15 fathoms is getting more shallow and more shallow. They're getting closer and closer to shore. It's nighttime. Look at verse 29. Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. So they throw them out of the front of the boat. Normally you'd anchor out of the back of the boat, but they threw them out of the front of the boat so that they could secure themselves in place and make sure when the sun came up they could see exactly where they were going and have better control of the boat. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they let down the boat into the sea under Kalor, as though they uh, would have cast anchors out of the foreship, before we read 31, here's what's going on. They've anchored the front of the boat, and now the, 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 the crew of the ship is lying. They're being deceitful. They're saying, we're going to let down a boat so that we can get more anchors out for the back of the boat. Paul saw right through there to see. He said, these guys aren't anchoring the back of the boat. These guys are just trying to cut and run. They're trying to get out of here because they know there's an island nearby. They're going to abandon us. Look with me at verse 31. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. You can see they're prepping this, this boat, right, to go down. And Paul's like, if these, you let these guys out of this boat, you're never going to see them again. They're going to disappear. And if we don't have a crew on this ship of sailors to take care of us, there's no chance we're going to be saved. The centurion who had learned to trust Paul at this point, he looks at his soldiers and he says, cut the ropes. And so they cut the rope and the boat falls in the water and it's gone. And now these sailors can't escape. They can't uh, get away. Uh, Verse 33, And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat or to take food, saying, This day is the fourteenth day that ye have tarried and continued fasting, having taken uh, having taken nothing. Wherefore I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health. For there shall not be an hair fall from the head of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in presence of them all. Paul was not ashamed of his faith, and when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were they all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. Can you see these guys gathered in the galley of the ship and Paul is holding up a piece of bread and he's saying to them, look guys, it's been 14 days and a bunch of you haven't eaten and none of you are going to die. 
But listen, you need your strength, and you need to eat. And so he said, I'm going to eat, and I hope you join with me. And every man on that boat picked up their, their bread, picked up their food, and they, uh, they ate food. They had a great time, even though the storm was raging on. Look down at verse uh, number 37. And we, were, and, and we were in all in the ship 200, threescore, and 16 souls, 276 people on that boat, in that galley, eating bread that night. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, so they throw everything else out they can, and cast out the wheat, there goes the prophets, into the sea. And so, um, listen, uh, what's going on here? God has sent an angel down to meet with Paul. And the angel has promised Paul, your life is going to be spared, because I have something more for you to do. And the life of the men on your boat are going to be spared. Now, please, please hear what I'm about to say. It was not enough for Paul to sit back on his hands and say, well, God promised it. I guess I don't need to do anything. And Paul said, look, I'm going to do what's within my control, and then I'm going to trust God to do what's outside of my control. All things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to His purpose. That does not mean that you get to sit on your hands and do nothing and say, all right, God, you work it all out. God expects you to use the brain that He put between your ears. God expects you to use some common sense. God expects you to take action and be a part and do what you can. Listen, what if Paul would have stood there and realized, hey man, those sailors are about to uh, 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 bluff and they're going down over the edge of the ship in that boat and they're not coming back. But you know what? You know what? God promised every man was going to be saved alive. I don't need to say anything. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't, you see what I did there? I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to throw over the apple cart. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Paul didn't do that. Paul stepped up and he controlled what he could control. And then he trusted God to control what was out of his control. Listen, you have a problem in a relationship. You control what you can control. You show meekness and kindness and temperance. You show humility and you express forgiveness. You work to better those relationships. There are aspects of relational uh, hardships that are out of your control. Listen, you have to let God control what you can't control. But you must do your part. You must do the mundane and leave up to God to do the miraculous. You have a hard time finding a job and you're not really sure where to work or what to do with yourself. You're not sure which career path you want to choose. Listen, you can't expect God to do everything for you. You've got to get up off your backside and you've got to do what you can control. You've got to do the mundane and leave the miraculous up to God. Why don't Baptist Church isn't going to grow itself? Some of you say, well, I get on my knees and I pray every morning that God sends growth to White Baptist Church. Listen, what can you do? You can put gospel tracts in your pocket and you can take out a track and you can pass them out to people and you can say, hey, listen, we've got a pretty good church. We've got a pretty, thing, pretty good thing going on down there on Main Street, Putney and Stratford. Why don't you come join us? Listen, uh, uh, God does the miraculous, but He expects us to do the mundane. Are you that personality that steps up and takes charge? Some of you in here are that personality. It's natural for you. I look around the room, and I know there are several of you in here. You are alpha male take charge types. 
I'm thankful you're on the team because I don't have to be the one to always step up and take charge. I can let some of you step up and take charge. But there's others of you in here, you're happy to let someone else take charge. You're great just hiding in the background. You're great letting everyone else lead the way. You're, you're not, you don't have a problem following, but you would rather not lead. And I just say this to you, you may not love to lead, but you still need to be busy doing your part and trusting God to do uh, what you cannot do. We must be busy doing the mundane and trusting God to do the miraculous. We saw, uh, number three, we saw the dominant personality in the voyage. Let's finish up the message. Number four, notice the divine protection over the voyage. The divine protection over the voyage. Look at Acts 27 and look at verse number 39. And when it was day, so you see what's going on here. The boat is anchored in the water. They know they're nearing an island. They, it's dark. They can't see where they're at. It's stormy. They can't see where they're at. But based on the fathoms getting shorter and shorter, they know they're getting close to land. They've anchored the boat. Now the sun comes up. Now they've got uh, enough daylight to be able to see what's going on. When it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with a shore. They were surrounded by uh, 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 large rocks and cliffs and, and sharp rocks that could have destroyed their boat. Uh, they, they saw a certain creek with a shore into the which they were minded if it were possible to thrust in the ship. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea and loosed the rudder bands and hoised up the mainsail to the wind and made toward shore. And uh, uh, falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground and the forepart struck fast or it stuck in the sand and remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. And the soldiers Council was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land, and the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they all uh, that they escaped all safe. To land, just like Paul had said, they would uh, the ship would be destroyed, everyone would survive, and they would land on an island. So, interestingly enough, we now know where this island is. Go ahead and put that um, uh, picture up on the screen there. There's the island where they landed. We now know that's the island where they landed. There's actually a statue for Paul uh, that that exists on that island. No one lives there anymore, but. Somewhere along that shoreline there, they stuck the boat in the shoreline and everyone jumped overboard and either swam or floated there on a piece of wood. Now, uh, what do we see here? We see that God came through on His Word. God, just as God had said, He had done all that He said He would do. Why? Because God always comes through on His Word. God always comes through on His Word. Titus tells us that God cannot lie. God cannot lie. I want to ask you tonight, when the storm is raging and you're lost at sea, metaphorically, are you like the other men who are wringing your hands and worried? Or are you like Paul on your knees, seeking God's face, trusting God? 
Some of you right now have some uncertainty of your life. You don't know where your life is headed or where a relationship is headed or where a career is headed. Uh, you've got all kinds of hardships you're going through and you're just not certain what's going on. The storm is raging around you. You're being tossed to and fro. Other people are making decisions that affect you and, and, and you're doing what you can to control, but you feel as though, my friend, all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to His purpose. What can you control? You can control these two things. You can love God. And you can live your life according to His purpose. You can do the mundane. And you can trust God to take all of the evil that's against you. You can trust God to put it all together and bring about good in your life. What did the prophet say in the Old Testament? He said, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Don't worry about what other people do. You worry about who you are. You worry about what your relationship with God is. You keep Him first and you trust Him. You really only need to ask yourself two questions. The question is this. Am I loving God? Am I living according to His purpose? Am I loving God? Am I living according to His purpose? Can I do those things better? If you can, then do it. And watch as God does His part. Control what you can and trust God to control what you can't. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed tonight. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Control what you can. Trust God to control what you can't. Many of you here are going through some hard things. Many of you have confided in me some hard things you're going through. Some of you in here are going through hard things and I know nothing about it, but God does. Do you feel sort of like Paul? Obviously not to that extremity. Not actually on a boat, but emotionally, do you feel like you're there? Control what you can. Love God. Live your life according to His purpose. Trust God to control what you can't. How many of you here this evening would say, Pastor Lejeune, pray for me that I'll learn to trust God through the hardships of life. Here's my hand. Would you pray for me that I'll do a better job with that, how many of you here would say, Pastor Lejeune, I need some encouragement in doing the mundane and letting God do the miraculous. I need to trust. I, I need to do my part to do the mundane and trust God to do the miraculous. Lord, help us tonight to make decisions that please you.